If you've missed any episodes of Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the Golden EIB microphone, you've missed more great stories from some of Rush's closest friends, family, and colleagues. All previous episodes are available now on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to your podcast. On this episode of Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the Golden EIB microphone, we take you further behind the scenes of the radio program. So on today's show, you're going to hear from two people that are connected with Rush almost for the entire length of the radio show, but they were also very involved in Rush Limbaugh, the television show. Both are very dear friends, both are very dear co-workers of mine. Today, you're going to find out who Coco and Cookie really are. Whether you listened every day, you are at the EIB Network and the Rush Limbaugh program heard on over 600 great radio stations. Or every now and then. Nation's leading radio talk show, the most eagerly anticipated program in America. These are the stories you've never heard from the people behind the scenes who knew him best and loved him most. Rush Limbaugh having more fun than a human being should be allowed to have. Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the golden EIB microphone. Hosted by James Golden. Hey, James Golden here. You might remember, I told you a few weeks ago that my pillow had sent me their entire collection. Well, you know what? It's amazing. They are so luxurious, and it's time that you experience some of that luxury, too. My pillow makes more than pillows. I love the pillow. I sleep on it every night. But you know what else they have? They have sheets that are simply incredible. They're smooth. They're soft. They're comfortable. I look forward to getting to bed every night under these sheets. Get yourself a set of these. They're called Giza sheets. They come with a 60-day comfort guarantee. You get pillows. You get sheets. Oh, did I mention the slippers? They're incredible slippers. There is a level of comfort for MyPillow products that you simply have to experience. Log on to MyPillow.com. Click on the new radio listener specials. Use the promo code Icon, that's I-C-O-N. You'll find lots of incredible offers there right now. That's MyPillow.com, promo code ICON. Well, here we are. Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the golden EIB mic. I'm James Golden, and today it's the Cookie and Coco show. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) now over the years, all of you who have listened to the Rush Limbaugh show have heard him refer endlessly to both Cookie and Coco. And we have the... (laughs) (laughs) And this isn't Coco like hot Coco. This is Coco like... K.O. K.O. Coco. Yeah, Gorilla Coco. That's right. Yeah, Coco's go- a gorilla. <laughs> yeah, okay. I can hear Media Matters right now trying to make something racist out of that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, well, let's explain to everybody, Cookie, how you got the name Cookie. How'd that um, happen? Okay. Well, when I was working on the Rush TV show, Uh, There was a story in the Washington Post about ABC News reporter Cokie Roberts that she had to go to a gala um, immediately after her report that evening. So she put on, she had uh, her evening gown under her raincoat, and they put her in front of a green screen with the Capitol behind her. And she pretended to do a stand-up live from the Capitol. 
in front of, you know, the green screen. <laughs> well, the story got out. And so on the Rush TV show, we did a skit where I was the EIB reporter, Cookie Gleason. Uh, and I did a report for EIB News. And the green screen behind me kept changing locations. <laughs> it went from the Capitol to like the NBC News car crash to it just kept, they kept changing it. So from that day on, I was always Cookie. And, you know, Rush always called me Cookie. So that's how I got the name Cookie. <laughs> All right. Now, what's your real name? It's not my real, Cookie. No, my real name is Kathleen Gleason Prius. Aha. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be a reveal here soon, <laughs> folks. <laughs> Just a <Yeah>. second. <laughs> so now let's turn to Coco. And Coco, how did you come about the name Coco? And and and, and again, that is not Coco like hot Coco. That's like Gorilla Coco. That's Coco, right. K-O-K-O. 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 I came to the Rush TV show in 1995, and I was a production assistant. And I was the low man on the totem pole, as they say. And uh, they were going to do a skit about Coco, the sign language speaking gorilla. And Rush thought this was hilarious that they, people thought a gorilla could speak sign language. So the bit was <laughs> that Rush was going to do the story on the gorilla. And I was going to be in a little box in the corner signing for other gorillas who were watching. And so they were looking for somebody to put on the gorilla suit. It turned out to be me. That'll be a chapter in my life story. Never be afraid to put on the gorilla suit. So I put it on and I had no idea what, what was going to happen. And so we just started the skit and Rush got one look at me in that gorilla suit in the corner of the screen and he just cracked up. He could not oh, stop laughing. And we did so the skit funny. and people loved it. And he just kept laughing. It was like one of the few times that Rush you know, kind of lost it, you know, because uh, he, he always was the king of cool, you know, when he was performing. And and we just went, did this skit, and he was having the greatest time, and he laughed and laughed and laughed. And then from that point on, I was Coco. He would see me. He didn't know my name before that. He didn't know who I was before that. I was just another guy on the TV show. But after that, every day I'd see him, Coco, how are you? And that was it. We were, we were friends from that point on. He just, we just clicked and uh, we always had that memory and I was always Coco. And your real name is? It's George Prius. And um, there's no Gleason in that, but yeah, sorry. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let me go backwards. And Kathleen, you said your real name is what? Kathleen Prius. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I mean, Gleason's in there, but you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a story here. So when did that happen? Well, you know how these things happen, James. No, I don't. That's why I'm asking you. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. This is so personal. You know, know, we met on the TV show and, you know, uh we became friends. In the beginning, she didn't like me. But, you know, I I Ah. guess I, 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 you know. Was it the gorilla suit? (laughs) It might have been. Might have been. That might have been the turning point. I don't know. But we became friends. And then at some point. You know, we started, uh, you know, dating at the very end when that TV show ended in 1996. Yeah. And yeah. and then um, we, we were together ever since. In, yeah, 2001. Yeah. Yep. It was only 56 short months of dating. Yep. <laughs> only right. 56 short months of dating. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we always, we, we hear a lot about that 56 months. Of <laughs> 
And so, uh, so you are you are the EIB's married couple. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now, right. okay, before TV, so the TV show. Let me just go back. Rush Limbaugh, the TV show, which is where mm-hmm. I met both of you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Was we were taping at Unitel Studios on Fifty Seventh Street, and Rush's workday was really amazing. During that time, as and, and correct me if I'm if I'm losing any of the details here, Rush would get in normal time. You you guys were already at the TV show location, mm-hmm. and we were at the radio shop. Those of us who were working just on the radio while working the radio show, and would later come over to TV with right. him. Right. But he would do his show prep for the radio show, and then. There would be a telephone meeting. Is that yep, how it happened to figure out what was 1030? Mm-hmm. 1030 with a okay. production call meeting. Yep. And how long did that meeting run usually? Um, well, I would say about 10 minutes because he knew That's what he it? wanted to do. Yeah, it was all him. He was the man with the ideas. He was the, you know, it was all him. I mean, James, you know, the greatest yeah. entertainer, the greatest performer, you know, the greatest radio Rush. He show knew ever exactly Rush what did he it all. To do, yeah, know? and he would tell us. <laughs> and which mm-hmm. is not regular for producers. We're supposed to produce. <laughs> but with Rush, he you know, he would he say, I want to do this, producer? this, and this. Yeah, he really was. I mean, you know, God bless Roger Ailes and Dick Mincer. They were they were wonderful and you know, they gave a lot a lot of great ideas and uh but Rush Rush was the man. It was him. And there were no writers. Rush was the writer. Yeah. <laughs> there were no yeah. writers. No writers. Which is amazing. Rush, Rush did it all. So you know, some of the things that Rush wanted and that you guys were able to implement and make happen have later showed up on other TV shows long after Rush decided he w- didn't want to do TV anymore. Some of the concepts that would develop during Rush Limbaugh, the TV show, uh, went on, and you saw them in various places. I saw something one day on The Daily Show, which I rarely watched, and I'm like, wait a minute. Rush did that. Yep. 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 All that stuff. They used yep. to do the thing with the picture with the and change the lips. Remember that? Mm-hmm. That, that yep. gag? Changed, that, yep. Then yep. that became like a standard on late night TV. Like we'd take a picture of Bill Clinton and put somebody else's mouth there, but it still looked like Bill Clinton talking, but... <laughs> The mouth would move and say things. Yeah, that was an open. And then we used to put Rush in a box to react to audio clips that we would play. Yeah. And it was he, he would be He would be looking up at the, he that was one up. of Roger's, Roger's yeah. great and innovations. Then he would look up at the, yeah. at, you know, Clinton or whoever was saying something stupid yeah. and he'd be making faces yeah. and reacting. It was so and, funny. Yeah. And the studio audience loved it. And then remember Robert Reich, whenever we did a story about him, oh, yeah. we had a box, we had a picture of him and he could barely see over the bottom frame <laughs> right. of the picture. You saw his eyes. And most of that stuff, show. James, that would come up in the production meeting at 415. Roger would uh, come into the production meeting and he'd get Rush going a little bit, you know, like Rush would say something to him about, you know, he wanted to do a story and oh, Roger would say, well, it'll be funny if we did this, you know, like Roger was outside of the box thinker. I mean, he brought the fat lady in to sing on the fifth right. day of the television show because everybody said Rush's show will never make it. So Roger had this grand scheme that on the fifth day we would call our anniversary show 
we made it five days and we would have a tremendous huge anniversary party and we brought a fat lady in who was gonna sing or not sing <laughs> if we made it that was <laughs> roger's idea we have gotten our own gorilla and we will have this gorilla sign language there it is Just a second. The gorilla's signing and I'm not even saying anything. How about that? Okay, now this, ladies and gentlemen, this is an actual newspaper story, ladies and gentlemen, from the Northwest Herald in Crystal Lake, Illinois. It's a story about a third grade class and a third grade... Stop laughing over there, please. You're distracted. <laughs> That's the section that failed a drug test over there, which is why... <laughs> That's why we have them a little in the dark. Okay. Now, <clears throat> the, the teacher of this third grade class is a man named Mike Pincava. And it is... <laughs> Would you take the picture out of the camera? There, thank you. <laughs> you know, the sad thing is that the liberals are understanding this. You know, that's... The... <clears throat> Liberals are saying, it's Limbaugh guy, it makes sense for the first time that I've been watching. <laughs> okay. On each episode of Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the golden EIB microphone, we follow Rush Limbaugh's biographical journey with the help of some of his friends, family, co-workers. Today is a real treat. We're going to look at the very impactful, influential Clinton years. When you hear Rush Limbaugh in history, in history books, there's always going to be a link with President Bill Clinton. Who better to walk us through those years than Mary Madeline? The Life of Rush Limbaugh, Chapter 8, narrated by Mary Madeline. You wouldn't know it at the time, but in the 1992 election, a battle for the ages was born. And not between incumbent President George H.W. Bush and his challenger, a young, smooth-talking Democratic governor from Arkansas. That election was over. Now, at this point, a political chess match for the ages began between that very governor, now President-elect Clinton, and the hero of this story. Talk radio icon Rush Limbaugh. It is, it's fundamental to remember that here are the Clintons admitting their paranoia because they didn't know how to deal with a non-supportive media. And all it was was just me on the radio and some other local talk show guys in the Wall Street Journal editorial page, and they're acting like it is the biggest threat to their existence ever. In the process, Rush became the number one voice of conservatism, a mantle literally passed on by none other than President Ronald Reagan himself in a treasured written letter. Rush's political savvy combined with an uncanny reality-based ability to make the complex understandable helped the party of Reagan get back on track. In fact, with Rush at the helm, the GOP won long-shot landslide victories across the fruited plain, up and down the ballot, plus the House majority for the first time in over a half a century, now known as the Republican Revolution. In 1994, it was the peak. It was huge. I'll tell you what shocked me, and it really did. Clinton was flying into St. Louis. 
1994, on Air Force One, he's doing an interview. Before he arrives with the morning crew at Camo X, our affiliate in St. Louis, he starts complaining about me. Yeah, you got Rush Limbaugh coming up here. When you guys finish, you can come up at noon. You have three hours. Three hours. Say whatever he wants, and nobody's going to say anything otherwise. There's no truth detector. Here's the President of the United States with the biggest bully pulpit in the world complaining about some guy on the radio for three hours. It's no coincidence that the Rush Limbaugh program, as you note, actually began during the Reagan administration. And though the Clinton years were filled to the brim with easy fodder for Rush to feast on, he spent the years after battling a misperception that the show's success was primarily built on the daily melodrama dished up by the Clintons. In reality, the show's popularity exploded long before the presidency was even a twinkle in Bill Clinton's eye. I can't tell you the number of people who believe that this program arose to its current heights because Bill Clinton won the election. This program got off the ground and became the most listened to radio talk show in three years before Bill Clinton ever thought about running for office. In the end, Rush reminded his listeners that his program never depended on the party that was in power. I've often had a phrase, my success doesn't depend on who wins elections. I can't control who's going to win elections anyway, regardless who's in the White House or not. And by the way, just because your team wins doesn't mean they don't screw up whole objective here is to have a good show. Rush Limbaugh hosted far more than a good show. In fact, for decades after the Clinton administration had come and gone, he proudly carried the conservative torch forward, both on the air and off the air. Through the Stand Up for Betsy Ross campaign, you changed the lives of dozens of hero families in need. The campaign benefited the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, Tunnel to Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes for our nation's most catastrophically injured veterans and first responders to give them their independence for Gold Star families and fallen first responder families with young children. Tunnel to Towers pays off mortgages in full for these families and provides them with the comfort of a home when their world has literally been turned upside down. And thanks to this campaign, the Stand Up for Betsy Ross campaign, you have seen to it that we have been able to send a charitable donation in total of $5 million to Tunnel to Towers. Your kindness, generosity, and patriotism brought hope when it was needed most. But more of America's heroes and their families need your support. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's the letter T, the number two, T.org. Kath, let us tell people what you were responsible for on the Rush Limbaugh radio show. You came over after TV. And well, how did that yeah, happen? Actually, um, what, towards the end of the television show, Rush asked me to bring in my resume and he said to me, listen, I am looking for an executive assistant like William F. Buckley has. Her name is Frances Bronson, and she's fabulous. She reads his mind. She, you know, knows his every move. That's the kind of person I'm looking for. Uh, would you be interested in, work, in doing that on the radio show? And I was like, okay, um, yeah, I would love to do that. <laughs> you know, I was grateful to be able to continue to work with Rush. 
uh, and now in the radio show, I got to learn radio. It was great, you know, great opportunity for me. So I joined the radio show and I was in my little cubicle doing my Francis Bronson work, which was like making calendars and typing things up and getting him coffee. And after about five days, <laughs> I made a list of some other things that I wanted in my cubicle. It was TV cable boxes, VCRs. And I went into him and I said, do you, is there any way you would consider getting me this list of items for my cubicle? And he looked at it and he said, well, my business partner, John Axton, is coming over this afternoon. I'll discuss it with him uh, and, and we'll get back to you. And I, I was so grateful. I was like, okay, great, thanks. Because James, as a, as a person working in TV, I was not used to having a job without a TV. Like I was always, you know, listening, watching, hearing TV. So sure enough, <laughs> after their meeting that day, uh, Rush and John came out of his office and Rush had my list in his hand, and he said, Cookie, good news. We've improved, approved the entire list. And I was like, yes. <laughs> so I got my good friend, Frank D'Elia, to come down. He was, of course, the great engineer, Mo Thacker, to come down and hook me up. And boy, did he hook me up. I put in there as many VCRs as we could and as many cable boxes, and I got to record my heart out. So that's how I started uh, pulling audio for the show. I would try to find things that were outrageous and that I knew would make Rush crazy, you know, and that meant recording them on a VCR tape, giving the tape to either at the time it was Marie Malsberg, who was just a, a wonderful right. person who's at CNN right. now that she would, you know, edit the <laughs> tape for me. And uh, we would do a little cue sheet for Rush telling him the who, what, when and where and, you know, transcribe the sound and, uh, we'd give it to him, and it was like a little buffet. You know, it was like he would pick maybe cut one or cut five or nothing or all of them, and he would bounce off of them, you know, and that's how it started. And then uh, as, it, as we got going, there was the famous Gravitas montage. <sighs> and yeah. I, I'm sure you remember that. That's when Vice President Dick Cheney appointed himself to be the running mate for Bush. And the media all said, he brings gravitas, right, George? He brings gravitas. Yeah. And so I heard like a few of them, like four of them. So I strung them together, maybe Sam Donaldson and, you know, Wolf Blitzer and four people saying it. And then I kept hearing it and hearing it. So I just continued to make this huge montage. Then they brought Joe in to do some of the, you know, the editing for me to do all the editing for me, actually. So, yeah, that's where the gravitas, the famous gravitas. I, I got to brag about her a little bit. I mean, mm. now, you know, when people do montages, there's all kinds of services out there that you can search keywords and stuff on the internet. There was no, you know, none of that. She used to watch these shows and record them on a, a VCR tape and then write down the time. Like we'd be, you know, you know, at night at home or whatever. And, and, you know, we'd be watching, you know, Larry King live and somebody would say something and she'd write it down. And then she, you know, Joe would have to go, rewind that tape eight hours and find that one word. There's no transcripts or anything. You know, that's yeah. how that all started. And this whole industry now does this. And there's whole right. businesses that are devoted to providing these things. You know, she started it at her desk there with the VCR. Yeah. So. That's right, Kathleen. I mean, those montages not only oh. changed the trajectory of the show, they changed the trajectory of what people on radio started doing. 
You had another wow. one. What my favorite, <laughs> and I love the gravitas, but my favorite is the Torricelli. The Torricelli oh, bit. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, Kathleen so and Rush so loved oh. it. He loved it. You can see it when he whenever he played it, it would just light him up. He'd smile. It was oh, so fun. Laughed. Explain the Torricelli bit to people. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. Well, John Booty helped me with that, I have to say. And we talked about what I wanted to do. And that was taking the prosecutor, right, George? Listing yeah. the charges against Torricelli, which Robert were- Robert Torricelli, um, then right. Senator Torricelli from New Jersey. Correct. And, and he had given a, a, a you know very passionate speech on the Senate floor, denying it all. And, you know- yeah, and, When uh, I was a boy- Crying, yeah, yeah go crying mm -hmm. about his childhood. And, mm -hmm. and, and we interspersed uh, the prosecutor listing all the things that he did. <laughs> You know, wads of cash, gold yeah. watches, and then you'd have Taurus Alley saying something like, when I was a boy. This goes back April 18th, 2001. This is a, this is a montage of Senator Torricelli, the guy you just heard, a press conference where he denied corruption charges. And what we did, after every denial, we, we inserted cut-ins of a lawyer for the guy who had corrupted Torricelli, Brad Simon, who was listing. This is not Torricelli's lawyer. It's the guy who tried to buy Torricelli. It's his lawyer documenting what Torricelli did while Torricelli is denying it all. To challenge my integrity is beneath contempt. I do not deserve this treatment. Two watches, a Rolex watch, diamond earrings for his girlfriend. I have never. A television set. Ever. Oriental rug, grandfather clock, other antique items. Done anything. Suits. At any time. Approximately 14 deliveries of uh, envelopes of cash to Torricelli's house. To betray the trust of the people of the state of New Jersey. Now let's move over to the internet side. George, you were over at Fox, and then you were with us. How'd that happen? Kathleen had said to me that, you know, they're looking for somebody. You know, it was it was 2000, and they were looking for somebody to start a, a website for Rush. Because, you know, Rush, he wanted to be on the cutting edge of everything. And websites were starting to get popular then. And so she said, you know, you should go for this job. And I thought about it, and I, I, I said, sure. So... Um, I had worked, as I said, with uh, Matt Drudge, so I knew a little bit. He taught me a lot about what he did and, and you know, the news business. And and so I went and I, I interviewed with John Axton, and they decided to to give me the job. So basically at that time, Rush's website, there was a website. It was that picture of Rush where he's standing pointing to the, the golden EIB <laughs> microphone. And yeah. that was it. It was just that picture. That was a still mm. thing. I started in June of 2000, and I um, my first day... I sat with John Axton and, and Brian Glicklick, and they had a, you know plans for how we we're going to build a website, and I was going to be in charge of the content. And so, you know, they really had no idea what I was going to do. They said, "Well, why don't you go listen to the show?" You know, they had a little room for me. Um, I didn't even have an office then. We barely had the internet in the office that we were in, um, and I, you know, I, I sat. And I listened to Rush for three hours with a, I made a word file. I still have it someplace. And I just kind of, my concept was that, you know, we're going to just cut up Rush's radio show in, in like the form of a, a website with articles. And so I would just listen and to what he was doing, his topics. And I wrote the headlines down on this word file. 
And then I, my idea was to also you incorporate his nicknames and the, the things that he said. So I'd say the truth detector, Clinton Amazing. says this, or, or you know, uh, doctor of democracy, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I made this little sheet, like a little, you know, eight or nine story sheet. And I, after the show, I went back into John and Brian and I showed them what I did. And they were like, wow, this, this looks pretty good. Let's send <laughs> it to Rush. And so we sent it to Rush and he says, I like it. Go for it. And that's how it started. <laughs> <laughs> and so then we built the website from the bottom up and, um, you know, I started hiring some staff. I hired Dean and Mojo and that was at the beginning there. Um, and we just started um, translating Rush's uh, radio show to the, to the internet every day. Yeah. We got and, a transcribe. You got a transcriber. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the beginning yeah. we didn't have a transcriber. It, we, okay, were just, yeah, we, were, right. we were recording the show on cassette tapes and like playing <laughs> it back and trying to write down what Rush said. And then, we would do like little intros into the uh, into audio, and then one day Rush is like, "Let's just transcribe the show. I want full transcripts on the website." And the suits at, at Premiere at that time they they weren't you know too thrilled with that because you know they thought that that might add fodder to the people that were you know Media Matters was just starting then, and you know they were a little leery about translating everything Rush said for people to pick it over and find things to object to, but Rush had the opposite view, which was that if we printed transcripts of everything he said, he would be proven, you know, he'd be able to prove that he was taken out of context. And he was really visionary in that because, you know, we started printing transcripts on of the show and we have a great transcriber who did it for us oh, for 20 yeah. years, uh, Mark Kisslingberry. He's like the Babe Ruth of captioners. He is, for the Babe he's Ruth. like the number he one the captioner in the, in the world. Reporter. He goes uh, in into the world. contests and yeah, wins. He, yeah, he's the fastest. He's in the Guinness Book of World Records. He's great. Yeah. Um, and so he, we had the greatest radio show host of all time and the greatest captioner. And we would just translate it to the web every day. We'd print those transcripts. We'd cut them up into different articles with headlines. And then we later we added the, the Ditto Cam and we added the Rush 24-7 subscriber service. And we had one of the first podcasts. And we just built that site into something that Rush was really, really proud of. And we were really proud of. And it was it was a very unique experience to be able to, to have one job was to listen to one man talk for three hours every day. Mm. The thing about Rush, as you know, James and Kathleen knows, is there there were no meetings. There yeah. was no direction given. <laughs> he just assumed that I was going to get it right. Maybe every once in a while he'd say, hey, uh, I like this headline better or do this different way, but hardly ever. It was just, you know, he let us go. He let us add graphics to what he said, and he trusted us that we weren't going to do something that was out of step with what his he was doing. And, and it just really became like this kind of like symbiotic thing where we'd listen to him and we'd know what to do. And, and you know, we did it for, for 20 years every just day. A great, a great boss, it's just James. The greatest, uh, yeah, I mean, just the greatest boss. What, what I mean, kind of job does your boss just let you, just, you know, let you do what you want to do? And not, you know, just you have an idea, you come up with an idea, you're able to illustrate it. And when he does it, he does your idea 150 times better <laughs> than you did it. And it's, it's amazing. It's a great feeling. It's a great feeling. You know, it just, he was the greatest. <laughs> now, this is where I want to, uh, to ask you guys. We've talked about what you did. And by the way, with, with the website, George, you know, for years, Rush always told us he's not going to do a website until he can understand himself how to monetize it properly because this is a business. Mm -hmm. And and that's what he did. And that's what you brought to the table 
a way yeah. to do it in such a way that it became part of the enterprise and it wasn't a, 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 a loss leader, a way no, that it wasn't actually added to the bottom line. And that was one of the things everybody in the radio industry then and TV industry websites were thought of to be loss leaders and Rush did not want that. And that was one of the, the mandates when I, when I uh, came in there was that, you know, we were going to make this a business that worked. And the reason it did was because Rush knew that the content was what was going to make it and he was going to make it. And that, that's what, you know, people thought that they wouldn't pay for the Rush 24-7 subscription service when you can listen free on the radio. Um, but Rush knew that people would because we were providing them something that was unique. You could only get Rush in one place. And uh, and it, it worked. And he was visionary as as he always was. He, yeah. Like you said, he didn't want to just do something that everybody else was doing. He wanted to try to uh, blaze a new, new path, and we did. And then after that, a lot of radio show hosts would try to do, you know, a lot of people – did what we did, but Rush did it first. See, this is the thing that 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 blows my mind. And and with you too, everybody that works for Rush could have done something different and been highly successful at it because they have so much talent. But when they came on with Rush, this is where they called home and it became a family and it became we want to all do the best for Rush. Is that your feeling on it too? Oh yes. And I, you know, I I sort of ran the I I don't know why, but I just sort of tried to run the website the way Rush ran things, which was we were going to just improv it the way he did. And we weren't going to have tons of meetings. I mean, we had some, but we didn't have many. And we just knew the, the mandate was that Rush comes first and that we're going to follow Rush's lead because Rush was going to know what was going to work. And that's what we did. And so it was such a, a great atmosphere and it was such a great little team. Allie came on, uh, you know, I think a year or two after the rest of us. And cause we were doing, we needed more people. It was, it was too hard. Rush said too many things in three <laughs> hours. We had this close knit team and like everybody else in the organization, there was very little turnover. We were all there for 20 years. We were there because Rush kept us there. The Rush is so compelling. He was so, and some of these people weren't even conservatives or, or I don't even know. We never even talked about that. It was just, he's just, you know, once you start listening to him every day for yeah, three you hours, learn so, every well, who, day. who would want to do anything else? Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. a great job. I mean, what, who would, it's no, I, I don't know if any other job like it. And, uh, you know, I don't think I'll ever see another job like it. it. It's just because nobody else is compelling enough to say so much in three hours that, you know, Really, you could you could write a, a whole newspaper based on what he he said, and that was sort of one of the things we we thought of at the website. You know, we're not any different than the New York Times or the, the Wall Street Journal, or the Washington Post. We're Rush, you know, and we're doing it with four people, and they're doing it with five thousand people. But you know, what he's saying is, you know, to, to us and to the audience is is just as important, if not more important, because he's the only one saying it. You can go to, like he used to say, you could go to the New York Times, the Washington Post, ABC, CBS, but there was only one RushLimbaugh.com, and that's where you where you you got those his opinion on things, which was groundbreaking. Turns out, I knew this was happening. You can just sense these things. November was our biggest traffic month of the year at RushLimbaugh.com. We had a record number of millions and millions and millions of page views. 
So that is continuing to just go gangbusters. And I'm really proud of it because we're proud of the website. It is a plethora of data and information. It's a, it's a, it's its own encyclopedia set when you get down to it. Just the daily content of every pro, the, the transcript, the, um, the voluminous content in this program, documented and preserved each and every day and researchable by everybody who goes to the website. If you heard me say something on a previous program, you can't quite remember what it is. You can keyword search it and find the exact thing that I said. The literal voluminous content at RushLibbaugh.com. I'll stack it up against any media website in terms of actual substantive content. Not just what the news was, but what I thought of it on a daily basis. Let me just ask you this, and we'll, we'll, we'll end on this note. I want both of you to think about for a second some of your favorite memories of Rush, and if there's one thing in particular that you want the world to know about Rush Limbaugh, what would it be? Let's start with you, Kathleen. Oh, I mean, 29 years I have. It's, it's hard. Um, I would say my favorite memory was after my daughter Grace was born. In 2007, uh, after she was born, that Thanksgiving, Rush invited George, Grace, and I to spend Thanksgiving with the Limbaugh's in Palm Beach. (laughs) Mm. And it was spectacular because we got to meet all of his wonderful family and spend time with them. And he used to invite 75 or 80 family members, and he'd put them up at the Breakers. And he would entertain them for the entire weekend. And he invited us uh, to to attend. And he was so generous to us. Right, George? It was unbelievable. Like we had had a dinner on the Friday after Thanksgiving at the golf club, the local golf club that he belonged to. And he, before dinner, he invited George and I uh, to to come up to the front of the room. And Grace, who was crying. And Grace, who was crying and carrying on. <laughs> and there were there were some other people. Matt Drudge was there. There was some other, you know, friends Ann of Coulter, his there. Yeah. And, yeah, Ann Coulter. And Rush stood up and he spoke about George and I and our contributions to the show and the people that we were. And it was unbelievable and unexpected and amazing. I mean, can you imagine, James? Do you know what that was like for us? And then the next day, he invited us over to his home to watch a football game, a college football game. And George and I, we were supposed to be there at 1 o'clock. We were scrambling around at at the break. We were trying to get out. We were late, as always. And we're on our way. And I said, George, we're going to his house for the first time, and we don't have a gift. we got to bring a housewarming gift or something to say thank you. So George said, we'll stop at Green's Pharmacy. So he ran into Green's Pharmacy. I said, buy the best thing you could buy to bring, you know, because Rush liked, liked the best. So George came out with a beautiful five-pound box <laughs> of Whitman chocolates it was the sampler you know you get a little plate <laughs> and i and was like Are you i know me? i know we're late and i'm like well really we're gonna oh, do this so rush doesn't need this box of candy he just He's is gonna like, be mad that we're late so embarrassing yeah and i'm like no you got when you go to somebody's house you have to bring something even if it's rush limbaugh so we pull up at the gate and uh we were let in and we didn't realize at that at that time when we were led into the gate and we parked, we took a little longer in the car to get ourselves together and to get out of the car. And we rang the doorbell and the door opens and it's Rush. 
And he's like, welcome. It sure took you a lot of time to get out of the car. And we were like, yeah, yes, yes. We bought you this box of candy. And he's like, wow. Well, thank you. And he proceeded to take George and I out to the terrace where all of his entire family, and he said, everybody, everybody, can I have your attention? All of you people come every Thanksgiving, and you never bring me anything. And these two came for the first time, and they bought this nice box of candy. And that was just, oh, that was the greatest day. I think that was one of the greatest just, days of my life. It's just funny. It was. Just, he was so funny, it, it was and he was so he, funny, know, and he was so he much fun, you and, and he loved yeah, to tease. Yeah. Oh, he would tease yeah. me to, I mean, and I loved it. I loved it. I mean, I'm just, James, I'm broken that he's, that he's gone and he suffered so terribly because he was just the greatest man. Just uh, my life is, you know, I feel like, oh, such a big loss, you know, and I'm sure the listeners feel the yeah. same way, you know, I mean, he loved the audience. He would stand after the television show every single night and greet every audience member. What other, you know, talk show host performer would greet every audience member? Rush Limbaugh did that. That's right. He would sign That's autographs. Right. He oh, would God, get you're going to make me cry, Kathleen. Oh, Stop. James, I just, I can't tell you. He was just the most professional wonderful person i know uh, uh just i'm sorry oh man you and me and george i know oh, george what are you the three of us do you ever yeah. you talk about our guy no nah, i just you know there was just nothing like him he was just you know so generous everybody that you've talked to has said that but you can't say it enough just how generous he was with his his time and his just the way he his nature with you and the just i don't know we <laughs> We had such I mean, a unique relationship with him because we, you know, being married and having the same job and Kathleen's job was to watch all of the, you know, when Rush would used to say on the air, um, you know, I don't have to watch these cable shows. I pay people to do it. Well, we were those people. <laughs> we were yeah, we were. And, you know, and we But James, we just, even, but George, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah, James, go ahead. even the thing people don't realize about him was that Rush was a very shy person and he was a very private person, but he was unbelievably generous. So much to the point where he would be in his office doing show prep, he would open the New York Post and he would see that maybe something happened to a firefighter or a policeman and he would come out and he would say, Cookie, I want you to find this family. I want you to find the widow and I want to know how much money I can give them to help. I want to write them a check so that every one of those children, their home is paid off and they all go through college. So I want you to get that number and come back to me with it. And you must tell the family they're never allowed to tell anybody that I did that for them. And he did that numerous times. He did that so many times. You know, he just was amazing. Right? I mean, yep. Oh, we're just blessed. I mean, we wouldn't be yeah. together. We wouldn't have our family if it wasn't, for, right. you know, if we didn't come together yeah. with him. And he gave us the opportunity to work together all and the James, time. And James, we wouldn't he, know you. Yeah, we wouldn't I know mean, you. We love you. You yeah. know, you've, you've been an inspiration to us. I mean, yeah. you're amazing. You represent us. You know, you fearlessly represented us on those dark days in February, you know. 
<laughs> you're amazing. You're amazing. Yeah. You went out there. Thank you had you the don't, courage. You know what? You're, you're just you. a good but soul. But let me just say something. You, you know something else Rush did for me, too, was allowing all of us to come together. And, and Kathleen... Let me um let me just end in today with a with another story. Um through meeting you, Kathleen, and, and of yeah. course George, but through meeting you, Kathleen, I got a chance to meet your family too. Oh. <laughs> I got a chance to meet your mom. And your mom was a saint. And I'm not saying that lightly. What a beautiful, wonderful human being who was just so gentle her spirit was just so so warm and loving and your mother gave me a hand painted i don't even know what you call them it goes over your doors it's flowers it's right right it's yes it's a door hand and it hand painted it and she gave me she gave me one of her hand painted door And every place that I have been since then, one of the first things I have ever done when I moved into a new place was put that above my front door. Mama Gleason is above my front door right now. Oh, that's so nice. Because she, and, and I will never, ever, ever forget your mother either for just what is, and we can see where your love and where you come from and where you're from where your family comes from and now you and george have this wonderful family and we know where that's going so oh thank you so much but you know just so we i don't end crying can i just tell you one short little thing um uh, just one more thing and Mm -hmm. i have to tell you rush's family and, and james you and your family too i mean god just beautiful people but rush's mother millie Oh, what oh. a fabulous lady she was, oh. right? Yes. And oh, yes. she, of course, I got to be friends with her right away on day five of the television show. So we were always keeping in touch, as, as you did, too. And uh, one day she called the office to speak to Rusty. She wanted, you know, hi, this is Millie Limbaugh. How are you, Kathleen? I want to speak to Rusty. And, uh, and, you know, we got talking and talking. And she said, how's your mother? And I said, oh, you know, Millie, she's great. She's about to go on a riverboat cruise on the Mississippi. And she she said, she is? Well, I'm going to go down and greet the boat. When is that? And I'm like, well, uh, I don't know. I'll call my mother. But you don't have to do that. You don't have to greet her boat. She's just going to be on the boat going on. A cruise. Well, no, that's what we do. That's what we do. We go down and we wave to the people as they go along the Mississippi. We greet the boats. Well, sure enough, James, I told my mother, and my mother was like, Kathy, that is so nice. I can't believe it. And I I, I told my mother, make sure you, when you get to Cape Girardeau, you go to the side of the boat and you wait. And sure enough, there was Millie. She was there with all her blue-haired friends, a whole bunch of them, waving, Joni, waving, and my mother's waving. And you know, James, that was that generation. They were, they were just the best, right? They, yep. Uh, I mean, if I said to George, George, we're going to go down to the Raritan River and go wave <laughs> at a boat. George would say, yeah, right, okay. <laughs> it's not happening. Yeah, tell me about it when you get right. back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. but I think, you know. But that yeah. was Millie and that was, yeah. 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 But thank you, James. Thank you. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you both. This, this, this has is been a great James. walk for me down yeah. memory lane. <laughs> yeah. 
It really has been, and I'm sure I'm sure that the uh, that our audience is going to absolutely love it. So thank Aww. both of you. I love both of you so dearly. Thank we you. love you too, James. Yeah, same. You're a blessing. We love you. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the golden EIB microphone. And our very special thanks to my dear friends, my dear co-workers, Coco and Cookie, George and Kathleen. On our next episode, you're going to hear from the most famous political odd couple in American political history, James Carville and his wife, the lovely Mary Madeline. That's coming up in our next episode. Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the golden EIB microphone, is produced by Chris Kelly and Phil Tower, the best producers in America. Production assistant Mike Mamone and the executive producers Craig Kitchen and Julie Talbot. Our program distributed worldwide by Premier Networks, found on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This is James Golden. This is Bo Snurdly. This is James Golden. I'm honored to be your host for this and every single episode of Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the Golden EIB microphone. Thank you for being with us. <laughs>